Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Jesus is simply appealing to this kind of thinking as he responds to the Pharisees. And he's also making the point that by not keeping all of these observances during this week-long celebration, it didn't make anybody any less spiritual in God's eyes. It was permissible. And, and now... Here he is, the divine bridegroom, <laughs> present in their midst, and, and he's saying that his followers should have this kind of freedom and happiness while he's with them, and that their freedom to celebrate meant nothing so far as their true spirituality was concerned. Uh, the day was going to come, and Jesus makes that clear. The day's going to come when, when he wouldn't be with them, and, and they'd again fast, and they'd pray, and, and, and do many of the things that the Pharisees are so concerned with, but they would also do it with a completely different heart than it had been about before he came, you see. They'd be doing it to stay in intimate fellowship and communion with him and not to prove their spirituality. And that was something the Pharisees would never understand. They'd never understand this because to them, spirituality was and always would be about the keeping of rules and regulations and traditions and, and checklists, the, the keeping of religious rituals and requirements without exception from their view. For them, if you were having a good time, well, then you were missing something spiritually. You were less spiritual for doing that. I pray, and I really mean this, I pray that none of you guys are, are, are think this way spiritually. I pray that you don't. I, I pray that all of you are enjoying the freedom that Christ has purchased and brought to your life, a freedom that doesn't set you free to sin, but, but a freedom that nonetheless that, that communicates something far different to the world than what the message of the Pharisees was then and now in our culture even today. I like how John Corson, in his commentary, applies this dialogue to our, to our lives. He said this, A person who truly senses the presence of Jesus in his life will celebrate life as Jesus did. What about us? Have we lost sight of the fact that Jesus Christ came to bring us life and life abundantly to let us experience real celebration? Would we be invited to a neighborhood function readily? Do our co-workers include us when they get together, or is there something about us so pharisaical that they conveniently forget to invite us? Jesus was included in all kinds of parties. The common people embraced him easily and loved to be around him constantly. Why? Because he brought a higher degree of joy to wherever he went. I pray not only that we might be able to, to penetrate the parties of our society, that people would, would feel free to include us in their celebrations, but that we might do what Jesus did. For though they came to people as they were, he left them different than he found them. If you find the party or the people affecting you rather than you affecting them, watch out. But if, like Jesus, you can go into a place and make a difference by your joy and the unmistakable reality of God's work in your life, then go with God's blessings. 
Acts 8 tells us that the early church was so full of joy that they caused the entire city of Samaria to be full of joy as well. Celebrate your salvation as you infiltrate your situation. Realize that Jesus can handle your humanity, that he would rather see you a friend of sinners than a self-righteous Pharisee. Then go on to make a difference in your community. I like that. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. It has been pretty much my life in that regard. And yet, and I open my life to examination. If you look at my life, I'm not telling you there aren't things in my life that, 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 that I, I'm sorry I've done or I'm shamed of doing in the past, but I can tell you that by and large, the, 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 the measure of my life has been walking in righteousness, not engaging in sinful practices and things. And yet I've walked among sinners. Some of my greatest years I look back on is the time I spent in the army, you know, amongst lots of people who did not know the Lord. And I was their friend. And I I value that. And I value the impact that the Lord was able to use through my friendship with them to impact them to see the life that Jesus truly brought because they could look at my life and very genuinely as I lived it, at the same time, they could see what Jesus had done in me, the change that made me different from what they were and yet wasn't a pharisaical difference. (laughs) I celebrated with them when they celebrated. I rejoiced with them when they rejoiced. I cried with them when they cried. I was there standing side by side with them, never fearful that somehow that liberty and freedom that Christ has given me, I would somehow translate into sin in my life. Far be it from me, it's like the Apostle Paul says, shall we sin that grace may abound? Of course not. Of course not. But I have also understood over the years that I have God's Spirit dwelling in me to help me understand His Word. I have his law written on my heart, which is his heart. It's a new heart placed in me that's beating in alignment with his. And that's made all the difference in the world so that I could walk in freedom and yet still walk righteously in the midst of it. I hope that makes sense to you guys. But I think the world needs this. I think the world needs the genuineness, and I think it needs it now. There's so much hatred right now between people. There's so much division, just not in our country, but in our world. But our country seems to be the the, the focal point of it right now. And and what what the Lord needs is for God's people to be standing up in the midst of that, who, 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 yes, living our righteousness, and yet at the same time, we're still friends of this, 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 the sinners who live in this world, not friends of the world. We're not friends of the world, right? But friends of the sinners who live in this world, because we may be the only connection that they will ever have to hearing a testimony of Jesus Christ in their lives. As I talked about a few weeks ago, we can't do that by, or last week, we can't do that by setting ourselves apart in some little facility. This is great to get together as believers. We encourage each other as believers. We grow together as believers. We take encouragement from one another as believers, and we find the things that we need for our lives personally in relationship with other believers. But we were never meant to hole up like this. We were meant to go out. I almost pray that in the midst of the COVID thing that has, to some degree, upended church life as we know it, has created a different mindset in people that maybe is pushing them out into the world, almost like persecution did for the first century church. If persecution wouldn't have come, the first century church would have clung together and never would have gone out. But but God allowed persecution to come in to scatter them out amongst the fallen people of this world. 
Maybe, just maybe, he's doing the same thing in the midst of this so that we will think differently. Not that we won't come back together again, but so that when we do, when we're back meeting as we typically did, that our mind would have been changed about the outside world. That there would be a connection for us in a sense that we would want to go and live our lives in Christ before that fallen world, that they might find Christ as well. The Pharisees never understood this kind of thinking. To them, it was all about spiritual rules and the way you, you, you conducted yourself through these rituals and practices. But to Jesus, Jesus loved life. Jesus enjoyed seeing his disciples love life, and he enjoyed being in the midst of people who he knew were dying from that disease of sin. They were dying, but through whom he could come and introduce life in their midst. Well, let's look on. Verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to them. It, now, in responding to the criticisms of Pharisees over his behavior and that of his disciples, Jesus now answers them with a parable. It's really going to be a two-part parable. I will argue it's a three-part. Most you're probably going to settle and say it's two-part with a subpart, okay, to one of the parts. But, but with simplicity, let's just say three-part parable. And this is the first of many parables that Jesus is going to use to illustrate a point. And as such, I think it's important for us to understand what a parable is and how Jesus used them to communicate spiritual truth to people. It's been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's absolutely true. A parable uses a common everyday situation, something which people are familiar with and, and can to some degree relate to. And then it draws a, a, a parallel to some deeper spiritual truth. And the idea behind its use is that if the audience being addressed can understand and appreciate an everyday experience being used in the parable, then they'll have a keener understanding and hopefully be able to make some leap to the more complex spiritual idea behind the parable that the parable is meant to communicate. But, and this is an important but, since we're talking about spiritual truth, and God's Word, the process of understanding a parable is a little bit more complicated than that. You see, without the Holy Spirit's intervention, a true grasp of the spiritual truth behind the parable, it's difficult at best and generally impossible to fully understand. This is exactly what Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him why he was teaching in parables as recorded in Matthew 13. But in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 13, it tells us this, Matthew 13, verse 10, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You see, the Pharisees, like, like most unbelievers, had no capacity for understanding the truths that Jesus was communicating through these practical illustrations because the Holy Spirit was not working in them and opening up their understanding. And that's the point he makes there in that passage in Matthew 13. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't have some idea about the interpretation, 
but their interpretation would always fall short because it's based on their limited way of thinking as human beings, which prevented them or anyone for that matter to understand deeper spiritual implications and truths. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. See, this is why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives, because while we can understand facts and ideas and concepts, we can never fully understand or appreciate the full implications of the spiritual truths being communicated through those facts, ideas, and concepts apart from the Holy Spirit revealing them to us. This is why before, maybe you can relate to this, but before you came to Christ, you might have seen some things that you connected with in the Bible, a story here, a parable there. You may have had some connection to it, but you really never understood the Bible. But then when you came to faith in Christ, and over the years since then, you're seeing things in the Bible that you never saw before. I bet you if I asked just guys to raise your hands here or out there and say, how many times you read a passage? I never saw that before. I've read that for years. I've been reading that since I was a kid. I never saw that before. I can say that. You know, when I think back to to my coming to Christ before I was in faith in Christ, but the Lord was stirring me, I began to read the book of Romans. It was like, you know, there were things in there I liked. There were great phrases in there I liked, but I didn't get the book of Romans. It just seemed like Greek to me. But I kept hearing people say, you know, the book of Romans, it changed Luther's way of thinking. I'm thinking, well, you know what? I grew up a Lutheran, so I want to know what turned Luther around, so I'm going to read the book of Romans. And I read it, and I just kept going, I don't get it. And then I placed my faith in Christ one night. And within a few days of doing that, I was, I just had this compulsion to open my Bible. That's the Holy Spirit nudging, right? I wanted to open my Bible and I began to open my Bible and I began to read the book of Romans. Ah, it was coming together. It all made sense. I watched my mom go through the same thing, you know, when she came to faith late in life in her nineties. You know, I, I remember the Sunday right after. I was teaching, I, I don't recall the passage anymore, but I was teaching a passage that, that is a little hard to deal with. And I remember going down and, and right after my mom had accepted Christ, all she did, she used to love Law and Order. You know that show Law and Order? Every night I'd hear a dun, 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 come on, right? When she accepted Christ, I noticed something different. I would never hear that music on. It's not that there's anything wrong with the show. She didn't have it on. I'd go down, she'd have her Bible on, but she'd be sitting there reading her Bible. She'd be reading her Bible. My mom was never much of a reader. She's reading her Bible, and that one Sunday I'm teaching on this passage, and my mom's riding home with me. It's only days after she accepted Christ. She said, all my life I've heard that story from the Bible, and I never understood it, but now I get it. And she starts opening up, and she starts preaching at me. How does that happen? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's why the Holy Spirit is important to the life of the believer, because though you might comprehend some aspects of a parable, I mean, who wouldn't look at what Jesus is about to talk about in this parable and not make some connections, but to be able to fully understand the truth behind it takes the work of the Spirit, you see. That's the whole point of Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6 through verse 16, Paul writes this. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> but as it is written, I has not seen or ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us 
Through our intellect? Through our minds? No. Through the Spirit, he says, through his Spirit. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see? That's a lengthy passage with a lot of words in it, but I can boil it down to, to, to one thing, right? The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're, they're spiritually discerned. What Paul is saying is that apart from the Holy Spirit, you may glean some rudimentary understanding of a spiritual truth, but you'll never get the full implications behind it. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit so that he can open up our understanding, regardless of how hard we may have tried to understanding in a moment's time, the Holy Spirit can open up our understanding to spiritual truth. And yet again, that's not to say that unbelievers will never understand a spiritual truth. It's possible for the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of any person in any spiritual condition so that they might see and comprehend some spiritual truth. There were moments when even the Pharisees saw things very clearly but many of them still rejected truth. But God enabled them for a brief moment to see and to understand so that they could choose and so that they would be without excuse when their choice was to reject the truths associated with Jesus. And I'd argue that's happened to all of us, at least to some degree at some point before we were believers. The Holy Spirit opened our eyes enough so that we could see and understand the truths about Jesus. Maybe not every truth in Scripture, but he opened up enough so that we could understand the truths of Jesus, giving us just enough understanding so that we could exercise that measure of faith that exists in all of us and that we could choose Jesus if we so desire. Some people do. Some people don't. But for those who don't, it won't be because they couldn't understand. The Spirit gives a level of understanding to all men and women who want to know. So even here with this parable, though there will be a blindness on the part of many, the Holy Spirit is still there and working for those who want to understand, like the disciples. In fact, the word parable itself conveys that idea. The word parable literally means a laying by the side of, or for those of you who fished or like fishing, a, a casting alongside. I like that particular interpretation because I used to fish. A casting alongside. And that's exactly what Jesus does with the parables. He's going to be using them like a fishing tackle with bait on the end, casting them alongside of people just to see who's going to bite. Who's going to bite? And, and for those who do bite, well, guess what happens? The Spirit then meets them. And he begins to open up more of their understanding. And for those who don't, their understanding, as Jesus said in that Matthew and Matthew, gets even more limited. Who you has gets more, and he doesn't. More is taken away, right? And that's exactly what he says will happen. So now with this understanding, let's look 
And what Jesus is saying to these guys through this parable, to us, to, to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that it's going to be very clear. I hope so. It's going to be clear and very simple to us, but not so for these guys. Not because it's being hidden from them, but because they have no desire to understand, even though the Spirit would be willing to show them. They'll have no desire to understand. Look at verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into, into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. So Jesus now gives them three separate yet connected illustrations to make one very important overall point. Illustration number one, old and new garments. Old and new garments. Jesus says, imagine an old garment that's worn out, it's falling apart, kind of like that ratty pair of jeans that I'm sure we all have in our closets, right? That we just never want to get rid of, but to wear, they've worn with time and holes are in them. But imagine that that garment has reached its its life's end. It's served its useful purpose. And now it's so worn out and filled with rips and tears and holes that it simply cannot be worn anymore. It's It's outgrown its usefulness. And despite wanting to hold on to it because... I don't know about you guys, but my best pair of jeans are the oldest ones. You know, they're the ones I hang on to the longest. It's comfortable, right? The old is comfortable. It's stretched. We've made it fit. It works better than the new, but it simply needs to be thrown away. It's reached the end of life. It's got to go. And of course, there are always those who want to hang on to it, doing whatever they can to make it last, sewing patches on it to help hold it together as though it can be worn forever, but it can't. But but what if a new garment was made available instead? Who, who would even think of taking that new garment, that, that new pair of Levi's, right? And, and instead of just exchanging the old pair for the new, what you do instead is you'd cut up the new one into pieces and, and you'd try to sew those new pieces onto the old material on the old garment, trying to hold it together, covering over the holes, covering over the tears, just so you could get more life out of the old ones. You know what? It won't work. It won't work, not just because it would look ridiculous, but because when washed, assuming you wash your jeans at least every now and then, I think I wash mine like once a month, you know, but, but, but assuming you wash those jeans, guess what would happen? It, nothing would happen with the old except they get clean, but the new material, guess what would begin to happen? It would begin to shrink. It would begin to shrink, and it'd pull on the old garment that it's sewn to, and it'd create even more rips and tears. And so anyone thinking about this knows that the solution is what? Throw away the old garment and put on the new one. Just get rid of the old and put it on. You don't need the Holy Spirit to reveal that truth to you, but you do need him to reveal the greater spiritual truth. But before we consider the greater spiritual truth, let's look at the next complementary illustration that Jesus uses. Illustration number two. Old and new wineskins. This one we relate to just a little bit less. Jesus says you don't put new wine in old wineskins because it's going to cause the old skins to burst and it'll ruin everything. You see, in Jesus' day, they didn't have bottles to store their wine in, but they kept them in mass in large clay pots or clay jugs. However, 
if they were going to take some with them someplace, maybe they're gone to Matthew's party or they're gone on the road and they want to take some wine with them, they would pour some of that wine from those pots into these containers made from animal skins. Now, if the wine was old wine, it didn't matter whether the skin was old or new. But if it was new wine, it needed to be kept in a container made of new wine skins because the old wine skins would have been too rigid and too inflexible to withstand the pressure that the new wine would exert as it continued to ferment. Because the new wine continues to ferment and it'll begin to expand, you see. And then what happens, it eventually be too much for it as it expanded and the container made of old wineskins would simply burst and everything would be ruined. It's Jesus' point. Now, added to that illustration, Jesus adds one more illustration. And, and really, here's your sub-illustration if you want to go there instead. But illustration number 2B, 1 and 2B, or 3, okay? Old and new wine. Old and new wine. Jesus simply points out that given a choice between old and new wine, guess which one people always choose? Old wine, right? You ever watch those shows? They say, I'll take a bottle of your 1876 Chalet, you know? Why? Because old wine in our minds is better. The longer it sits, the better it is. And that's why you hear people asking for that. Old in the minds of people is better than new. In some cases it is, but not in all cases. Old is better than new. Now, once again, the Pharisees would have understood all three of these illustrations, each one individually in a practical sense, but not the deeper spiritual truth that Jesus was communicating. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.